AI is fairly new. So this commotion, I think a lot of educators are considering and reconsidering how to use this new tool in their classrooms. It comes from this fear of what this will do to the process of learning. Uh, and I think it's a deeper fear when we think about it. How do you use this tool to foster more success and cultivate relationships and growth, also not abuse it to the point where it creates complacency. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode six of Overtime with Nav. I'm your host, Navid Rahimian. Super excited today. Once again, another brilliant and beautiful guest. I'm here with uh, Professor Jasmine Ashuri Shaolian. Welcome to our show. So great to be here. Um, I'm really excited. I love what you're doing. Yeah. No, I appreciate you and appreciate the support. And, um, you know, I think you're joining us at a really good time. First off, uh, Jasmine uh, is our first female guest. So thank you for gracing us with that. And I think uh, hopefully it's going to mean something very soon, um, even though e even though I'm super excited about it now. And uh, yeah, so just a little bit about Jasmine. I won't go too deep. I'll let you speak about yourself. Um, but, uh, you know, I've known ja Jasmine for a long time. She happens to be my fiance Shannon's sister. And I'm, I'm so blessed to have her as part of my new family and so excited. Uh, but beyond that, she is an amazing professor in communications. She teaches uh, at various universities, including Pepperdine, AJU, Pierce College, and uh, teaches, oh, CSUN, sorry, sorry, CSUN as well, Cal State University of Northridge. And, you know, she's you, you teach a variety of courses, but mostly around the communications, which is your specialty. Jazz, tell us a little bit about just a quick little journey where you uh, um, kind of, what made you go where you're at? What was your journey through your career? Maybe a quick, uh, l let us know uh, how you arrived at where you're at today. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, so it's been a journey for me. I started with my BA in English Lit, uh, which was really unconventional in our culture, but I fell in love with the spoken word. Um, and actually, it started with the written word, with writing and reading. I would stay up all night and read Harry Potter books. Oh, really? Uh, I fell in love with it. I really enjoyed it at UCLA. I took a year off. I was a freelance writer for some magazines. It wasn't as glamorous as I thought. I worked out of some coffee shops, which was cool. I know all the good spots to, to work at them if you need some. Oh, yeah. I have them, too. Don't worry. Oh, I know. This is a good one right here. <laughs> yeah. So um, after that year, I had the itch to go back to school. Uh, and I always knew I would get a higher education. I'm like a student for life. Um, so then I went to CSUN, I got my degree, uh, master's degree in comm studies, and I started teaching. I was, I think I was 23 when I started teaching, uh, which was a crazy experience Yeah, uh, and really rewarding and meaningful. I kind of fell into it and it became um, one of the beauties of my life. Um, 
And with calm, I fell in love with the spoken word. So I have the written, the spoken. Um, and I told you this before in passing, um, you could have the most beautiful message written, research, thought out. But if you don't know how to say it, it's lost. Um, and the opposite. You could have, um, you know, nothing to say and say it with confidence and people will be bored. So yeah, it's like finding the middle. Yeah, that middle is imperative. And uh, it's it's cool. So through that path, you did you did a couple of things that, you know, realized it wasn't for you. But I'm curious, any cool interviews that you've done uh, while you were in your in your uh, journey to become a professor? Um, I interviewed a few people. Um, Mac Miller was one of my favorites. Wow. Just a beautiful soul uh, and a really wonderful interview. Just I felt at peace. You know, the way I started, the way it ended. Um, and then Julia Garner, too, uh, which was a, a cool one. And a few, a few others, which I enjoyed. It feels like another life, but being here with you yeah. um, today, I'm reminded of those really good conversations. Right. Anything, anything unique that any of them said that kind of caught your eye that you didn't expect? You know? Yeah, actually, I don't. I don't know if this, if this is like NDA, if I can say this or not. So, yeah, if we can't post it, we'll 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 drop it. Don't worry. Remember, with Mac Miller, I asked him like, "What would be your spirit animal?" This never made it into the article, so it's like a little piece that I have floating in my mind. Um, and he said a bird because I I feel like I'm always floating in the clouds. And then he was like, yeah, but I don't know if words go that high. Um, and then I watched a music video of his, and it's so cool. It's so his vision. This was like two years ago, and it's birds, and he's floating in the clouds with the brush. Crazy. He probably manifested that like right then and there. So so fast forward, you are now teaching a, a series of classes. What, what are some of your classes that you teach and you have taught maybe in the past year or so? Um, there's a few, they're all calm studies courses, um, interpersonal communication, which is like relationships with yourself, romantic relationships, workplace relationships. Um, it's a pretty awesome course. That's one of my favorites, uh, public speaking, which is all about confidence building and also, um, learning how to craft a message and articulate that message, uh, with confidence and also being unapologetic in this world that we live in. Um, and then debate, it's always fun, uh, intercultural and small group communication. That's a lot. And you've taught all those courses in the past year? Yeah, except small group was during COVID. Oh, oh, wow. I don't even want to get into COVID and how that drastically changed your life. That's crazy. Um, Okay, so so moving moving along a little, I kind of want to get to know a little bit about what goes on. So you told me you were 23 the first time you taught. How does, I mean, you're a smart, intelligent, beautiful young woman and you look very young and I I imagine at 23 you looked even younger how does that even work to be to be at that point of authority at such a young age or maybe even some of your students were almost your age how was that experience so eye-opening and there was so much imposter syndrome at first and I, I still remember that feeling uh when I just started and 
a lot of people would mistake me for a student. So I started dressing the part. I'd wear blazers and heels and I had a really black backpack that was, you know, it was good for my back, honestly, <laughs> but it was a great experience. Um, I noticed that the first day students were surprised when I was standing up there at the board uh, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this is our professor. Um, and then by week two, I saw a shift and that's how I got my confidence. Once I started to teach, um, all of my students, there was almost like, a, okay, this makes sense. She's young and she's doing this with confidence and she's here for a reason. And so I learned that I don't have to prove myself. It'll just come. And I think a lot of young professionals, especially women, um, have a problem in, in that area where it's like, how do I show myself sure. in a leadership role or um, in a certain field? Totally. And you, and you went through that. And so it seems like, you know, certain little cues that you provide kind of help. And then ultimately, when you stick to your craft and, uh, you know, seems like, you know, focus on what you know and educate and provide value. And, and that's really it's really what it's all about. Cool. Very, very cool. And so tell me a little bit more. OK, I want I want to get a little a little weird now. Tell me one of the most awkward moments you had as a professor. Well, many come to mind um, over the years. Like the most recent one, it got weird. Um, about two, three months ago, before the semester ended, I was teaching a class and suddenly there's like this commotion of energy. And then when you're in tune with your class, you know what's going on, you know, um, who's texting, who's falling asleep. There's just so much movement in the lush corner of my room and I look over it and I see there's this poor girl with a lizard and I don't even think it was a lizard it was like a iguana reptile I I really froze in that moment it's on her shoulder and she looks at me with these wide eyes and she's like, can someone please get this off my shoulder you're kidding she, where the heck did this come from there's a student in front of her who is one of my more rebel students, he's like, oh my gosh, Amanda, where'd you come from? This was his pet that slipped into his backpack, crawled onto this poor girl's shoulder, and everyone for the rest of that class was like, can I touch it? Can I hold it? Um, you have a hard enough time competing with tech and cell phones and internet that you have to compete with reptiles. Oh my gosh. So was that before or after I uh, <laughs> came came to your house with goats? Thank you for prepping me. I I was like, yeah, I'm used to it. Yeah, animals are nothing after that. Yeah, for those that don't know, I you know on our on our first date to meet the family on our Shabbat dinner, I decided I had the brilliant the most brilliant idea to uh, bring a couple goats with me, and so you know that's what love does. Honestly, sometimes you do some wild things, but. You know, I don't, I don't regret it. And see, I got, the goal was I got you prepared for this iguana incident. So that's good. So, you know, I think, Jazz, I'm super excited that you're coming at this time because we're, we're in a space right now in terms of education that we kind of are at a little uncertain period. And in my mind, at least, and, and really it's because of AI, right? Uh, I, see, I see students... I see students, you know, maybe taking advantage of it a little bit. 
And then I see potentially my thought that professors are maybe not implementing it as quick as they need to be. I mean, I find myself to be somewhat tech savvy, not the most. Quinn is Quinn is definitely more than all of us. Uh, but, you know, AI can be a little bit scary. And especially for professors, um, you know, who aren't used to it, who are who are now forced to introduce it into their environment, whether they like it or not, and to make decisions on how to implement it. And I'm so I'm so curious and I'm so excited to talk to you about, you know, what are some of the challenges that you're already seeing? What are we forecasting in the educational sp space? And, you know, maybe start thinking about what's the best way as educators we can implement it rather than just completely ignore it because we all know that's not going to be the case. We cannot ignore it. So what are your thoughts? I mean, first off, have you have you been have you been exposed to anything like I don't know, a, a student had to maybe, you know, plagiarized or used AI to cheat or anything of that nature that you've noticed? Well, AI is fairly new. So this commotion, um, I think a lot of educators are considering and reconsidering how to use this new tool in their classrooms. There's so much fear, like you said, Nav. It's, it comes from this fear of what this will do to the process of learning. Uh, and I think it's a deeper fear when we think about it. AI changes the fabric of society. Um, I'm sure you've learned how to use it in, in your work. Yeah, I'm learning every day, Jazz, I'm, I, honestly. And so it's an evolving thing, and I'm sure it is for you. Um, I I think back to like when Grammarly came out, and um, I'm sure with Google calculators, all of these new forms of tech that have changed how we learn. Um, when it comes to AI in the educational realm, I would say it's tricky because... Uh, depending on what field you're in, for instance, communication, a lot of it happens based on applied experience. So in interpersonal con, for example, we talk about conflict styles. Okay. Um, and the importance of that, if you know how you are in a conflict, you're more likely to understand others and see conflict as a positive, not a negative. Mm. So in that case, I'm not asking my students to define conflict and write me a five paragraph research essay. So I would technically, I would say like, take this quiz, let's talk about the five different types of conflict. What would it be like for you to be in a conflict with this conflict type? And then we kind of like explore personal past experiences that they've had in their lives and learn in the classroom based on that. But I would say for other areas, let's say public speaking, they're writing a research speech. Um, AI can be used as a supplement, just as Google is used. Sure. As a database, not the direct source. Right. And I think it's important for educators to stress that what is the purpose of all of this? When you're sitting in a class and you're um, a student, and you're forced to be in that class. Let's say it's an elective or a required course. Why are you there? Are you there to learn? Are you there for the end goal, the grade? Right. So situating the purpose is one. Mm -hmm. um, because AI can be seen as a shortcut. Absolutely. Honestly, too, I would say 
it makes professors rethink how they design assignments. Like, do you want memorized, you know, coursework where students just give back what you're teaching? Right. Or do you want it to develop critical thinking? So you're looking at it in a very optimistic lens. It's AI rather than allowing students to just become lazy and have this bots do it for them is implementing ways so that educators can really, um, you know, start teaching and focusing and having students focus beyond the grade in itself, right? Just, and and really hone in on that journey into that process. And so that, that to me is super, super exciting. I, I, I want to, I want to focus on that a little bit um, because we talk about this all the time. You know, we have fun dinner table conversations. Um, but you know, I, I always say you can't ignore it, but you, you kind of opened my eye to the educator's lens because for me, and we talked about this in, um, with Sean in, in one of the older podcasts and, and it's all about the journey and doing your times and then doing that time really lays out the foundation for you to be able to excel in whatever you're doing. And so if this bot, this AI is taking away from a proper foundation. And I don't know if that's true or not. I, you may have an opinion. I may have an opinion. But if that's a risk that, hey, I'm not going to actually put in the time and effort to do the work, I'm going to rely on a bot to do it for me. Does that does that pose a risk for that per, per future professional to have certain gaps in their professional development? And so I, I think that's always a question. And uh, I'm I'm curious what you know, what the outcome is, what's the solution? I, I think that's a huge question. And that's where a lot of the fear stems from. Right. Um, you never want a shortcut in the education. And I think we're living in this highly di digitalized terrain and learning how to navigate it is tricky. Um, because it's like, how do you use this tool to foster more success and cultivate relationships and growth? And also not abuse it to the point where it creates complacency uh and it's tough as educators are thinking these questions they're also thinking okay we've been faced with plagiarism off just google now this is like coalesces all of these different forms of knowledge into one right and when you have something consolidate everything at like a snap of your finger how do you combat it and maybe the answer is not to combat it thinking that okay it's here to stay how do we not shy away but think smarter right um and a lot of it is rather than avoid the topic altogether or simply provide a blanket statement on your syllabus that says do not use ai and hope students will listen yeah which probably would not work yeah absolutely not i can tell you from past experience <laughs> Um, a lot of it is familiarizing students with what AI is, what is this tech, how it can be used, and then also what is the purpose of the work you're doing? Right. Are you working for just a grade or are you growing? Like, what is the foundation? And I think back to when I was a student and a lot of the way I teach is stem from my own experience. I remember staying up one night and I had a late review at UCLA. And I printed out all my articles and a late review requires you to make connection. So your brain is working in this way. I had maybe seven or eight articles and I'm trying to put them in conversation with 
each other. And so in the same way, that skill that I build, I do every single day that I teach. I have a student ask a question. Five minutes later, I have another student talk about a concept and I'm able to remember and piece and connect and put my class in conversation, which is fun for me. It's like thinking in a puzzle. Um, and so I'm sure for many people, the process has given them skills to work your mind, build and foster connections. And I guess the concern is, does AI minimize or diminish that scale because of how accessible accessible it is at your fingertips? Right. And how that process that you just explained you went through going into your educational journey is not available anymore for them. Well, it is available, but they wouldn't utilize it just because they feel like they have a, you know, a snap of a finger that can get to the end result of what that process was. But we seem to forget that sometimes that process, if not most of the time, if not all the time, that process, it, it's, it's what shapes you into being, you know, the person you are. So it's, that's why I say it's, it's an incredible time to be an educator right now. And I don't know, I, you know, I'm, I love having you on the show because I think in this, in a certain way that you and I are kind of in terms of our career trajectory and our, our mindset, our brains work like probably a bit of the opposites. You know, I'm like an accountant, <laughs> probably the opposite from any creative uh, I mean, do, trust me, we, we have our own ways of become, being creative, but, um, you know, you're a professor in communications and, you know, you, you studied English. Going back to kind of my experiences in those fields, I always struggled connecting with my English professors. I, I, uh, I didn't, you know, I always was, I was always looking for some logical explanation towards certain assessments that was given to me uh, from my English professors. Uh, I always thought my papers were perfect and I've done everything that I could. But for some reason, you know, that subjective response from the professor really bothered me. And, you know, I always wanted an A and my focus was on the grade. Um, but in hindsight, you know, as I think about it, is maybe I should have appreciated that journey of building the paper a little bit more. Um, and maybe that's where, you know, had I done that, I, you know, the results could have been a little bit better coming from my professor. So I guess my, my question to you is sitting in that seat of being an assessor in the humanities space, how does one with, if they have that more of a logical mindset, like I feel like I do, uh, you know, science folks and such, how does one you know, connect with a professor um, of humanities. Uh, what, what is what is your secret? Give us give us some tips. I think that's such a great question, and I face it every semester um, on the first day of, let's say, public speaking, because that is the most dreaded class, and it's the class that I have um, the most different assortment of majors uh, because it's required to transfer. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, it's it makes sense though when he's course. And I asked my students the first day, you know, how many people jumped out of bed this morning because you're taking public speaking and you're just excited for it. 
and maybe you have like one hand i'm like yes i know i know this isn't like the cream of the crop or the pick of the whatever they say yeah um why do you think the college has deemed this course something you need to take and that question is really catered to those students that that aren't in the humanities and they're like oh i just gotta get through this this isn't going to serve me i need to get an a this will boost my gpa and so it starts with how will this serve you and this can be a class that you forget about or it can be something that you use as a platform like how many people get to wake up in the morning and spend an hour and a half just for them dedicated to their growth as a person personally professionally academically and so we kind of go through those three arenas and what it does in each one so really Com classes are the best. I'm very blessed that these courses are catered toward personal and professional development. Yeah, your your courses are very re- relatable. Uh, but but I do think I mean especially now, right? Thinking back at it, you know, now that we're in the in the age of AI and in the age of super competitive landscapes in all professions. These little courses where, whereas, you know, for the, you know, person going through an education, going through maybe earlier stages of college, having to take those electives that they may not put so much value as to maybe, let's say if they're pre-med and going into like, I don't know, a science course, you know, they may not put the effort that they put into their biology class versus, they, you know, their, their comm class and, and into them the you know that's their balance i think i think that person needs to take a step back and and that person needs to really understand that you need to really start sharpening your tools now and to be able to take a piece of each of these humanities type uh classes and, and make sure that you're maximizing on all the information that's been given to you all the all the all the things available for you to sharpen your tools because you know you're going to wake up you know, let's say you want to become an accountant, pass your CPA and realize, hey, uh, you need to do a lot more than what you had to do before to be able to do, you know, to be able to succeed in this career. And it comes from, okay, are you able to communicate? Are you able to, you know, communicate with your client properly and relay the right message? So that came from my communications class that I took, you know, my speech class that I took. Or am I able to uh, you know, certain things that are coming from these electives uh, in the humanities that become critical and more and more important to showcase yourself as a professional. And so I think what you're teaching is becoming more and more critical. Uh, and 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 it's because of AI and it's because of the improvement of technology. Uh, and so, you know, I invite educators to really start thinking of that and educating as you are right now with their students of why, what, what they're sitting in is not just hey another elective this is this becomes you know the difference between me being able to you know sustain a career great absolutely and you bring up such a great point when it comes to like students of different majors thinking about walking into this class you're used to a linear education path most people are where you go into class there's a math problem on the board there's a lecture a powerpoint you say you write your notes, saying you go home, you study your notes, you take an exam, that's it. 
most con classes, you sit there, someone gives you a prompt to talk to three people next to you about like a vulnerable moment in your life and you're thinking, why does this matter? I don't want to talk about myself. And it's that discomfort that should fuel you. Anything in life, when you feel uncomfortable, there's growth there. Absolutely. So I see that every single day. I ask my students a question. So there's no day that you don't speak. And it's a trick. So if you speak in the five minutes of a meeting, a class, a conference, you are more likely to participate throughout it. So it's a study I share with them. Uh, once you've broken that seal in the first five minutes, you feel better and more confident about yourself. Uh, whereas if you wait and you wait and there's 10 minutes of class and you're like, shoot, got to get those participation points. It's not a good feeling. Yeah. Wow, that just took me back to my uh, my my school days <laughs> a, a little bit. I want to ask you, icebreaker. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, you do. Yeah, do it. Put me on the spot. Um, what is something that you've tried once that you would never try again? Could be an experience, a food, and I want you to describe that. So, like, I'll give you an example. For me, it's garlic ice cream. <laughs> I had it once. Great experience, not really. I will never have it again, and I'll tell you why. I went to this place called the Stinking Rose. Such a good deep first date spot. I guarantee that was a first date. No, it was actually Valentine's Day. Oh, really? Garlic afterwards. Oh, God. <laughs> you smell like garlic after and they gave you garlic ice cream? Yeah, it was complimentary and I'm too nice. So I'm like, I have to eat this. Like, they just gave it to me, you know? Um, so I take a bite. And it just hangs out on your tongue and for a long time. It does not melt. So, like, I will never have this again. Sometimes people say try things once. That was it. Um, so what? what's your response? Something you've tried once that you would never try again. You know. And, like, describe it. So... Can I answer with, I don't know if, I, if I'll if i ever not try anything again. It, for me to say never is really strong. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think it exists for me. I could tell you something that I absolutely hated, but I, you know, I think, it, you know, I want to give it another shot. And that's liver because everyone keeps talking about liver. And I just remember the last time I had liver, it just gave me a really bad feeling. <laughs> And so, I don't know. So, I don't see myself wanting to do it, but I can't say never. For me to say, I, like... You know, I have a good one for you. What? Like, for instance, if you were to say, I would never um, take your sister on the Black Diamond ever again. Black Diamond? Yeah, you took Shannon up on the Black Diamond, and she, like... No, I'm going to take her again. Oh, no. See, that's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not... I'm not I'm not the type of guy who will say never. I can't never. I don't know. Wow. So nothing's that just means nothing's ever been that bad enough. Yeah, I don't know. Let me think about it. Think about it. But the point here was to put me on this spot. And 
think on the spot. It's like an impromptu. You have a few moments to think about it. And then after everyone goes, I ask them, okay, now you have to persuade the class to do the thing that you wouldn't do again. So then you have to switch and persuade on the other side. And a lot of times people are really passionate. And I do this in debate class because it kind of shows that you take the opinion out of argumentation and you could still have pathos. You could still have emotion and make it compelling. You just think logically about it. So then the calculus, engineering, the math majors, like there is logic in communication too. Ah, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> Very cool. So, so Jazz, what's your schedule like? So you have, I mean, are you? Do you have the standard like school system timelines? Like, do you work fall to summer, or how does how does that work for you? Yeah, so it's a semester system. So you teach like fall and spring, and then you can teach summer and winter session. In the time that I did have this summer. Um, I've been like doing all the things I love to do, working out, hiking, spending time with my amazing family, friend. Um, and then also I have a side business as well yeah. um, that kind of taps into these same passions that I've been kind of talking to you about uh, with connecting with students. Okay. What is it? It's called to Campus. Okay. Um, and it's a play on words. It's like, like right. Right. Okay. Camp- Ah, okay. Uh, it's a uh, kind of a writing coaching program where I work one-on-one with students that have a specific goal in mind. For example, PA school, a nursing program, med school, um, a master's program. And so we sit down. I have a lot of knowledge on these different programs and um we talk about their experiences, their stories, their childhoods, what draws them to this field. Um, so it's a lot of soul searching. Uh, and a lot of people, when they sit down to write a personal statement, they're like, I have nothing. I'm boring. I'm not interesting. I have no stories. Um, but everyone has the wildest, most beautiful stories. It's just deep in there. Right. So it's something like what you do now. Yeah, no, I could see that. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what we do, and, and and I say it all the time, if you wake up every day and you add value to someone's life, you're blessed. And that's really that's really the goal, right? When whatever you do and in everything, that's that's really what it comes down to. And the more the more passion you have about adding that value, uh, the more successful you, you will be. And that's the reality of it because you're going to put more energy and that energy turns into success. And so... Yeah, that's really cool. I remember it was your birthday last year. I'm gonna embarrass you a little bit, and we went to Joey Woodland Hills uh, just for casual lunches. Me, you, Shannon, Salman, who uh, I'm so excited, but he's agreed to join us on our podcast in a few weeks. Um, Sal- Salman, for those who don't know, is is uh, is Jasmine's wife, uh, husband, husband. Sorry, Salman. Um, and, and, um, we were sitting down and out of nowhere, the manager came up and just started screaming with excitement to that. She saw that she saw you we're like, what is going on? And, you know, she was just 
so, so appreciative. And she expressed it very vocally uh, of all the work and help that you gave her to the class. So what class was that, that she just, I felt like she was transformed and she, she was, she got promoted in that position. And so she's like, it's all because of you. I can't like, you know, thank you enough and, and all this stuff. And, you know, I've, I almost cried. I don't know how you must have felt, <laughs> but you know, what, what was the class? Who, who, who was that? I want to know. Put you on the spot a little bit. That's so, I love that you bring that up because it was a sweet woman and it, it was like a birthday gift, honestly. Yeah. Because you have students and you connect with them and then you don't know what where they go or what they do. And I always remember, I know her full name. I won't say it right now, but I know, I still remember like where she sat in that classroom and it was one of the first classes I've ever taught at CSUN. It was a public speaking class. Oh, wow. And she was one of my students that was quiet. On on day one, she was quiet. She was more reserved. Incredible student that would sit in the first row. And she reminded me of me. It's like she wasn't quiet because of fear. She created space for other students to speak. And she always knew the right answer, but I think a little bit it was confidence. Yeah. And so wanting to speak in a certain way. And I saw her transform throughout that semester um, so much with every assignment. And she took each day as a challenge. That's amazing. So like those impromptu topics um, in the beginning, she was like, what is this? And by the end of it, I just saw her kind of like, why not? The stakes are low. I'm going to have fun. And it seemed like she's, you know, she she she's really benefited from it because she got this promotion that she was all saying it was because of you and the teachings that you gave her. And, you know, this was just an example. And so, um, you know, it just comes down to, again, waking up every day, adding value as you do to your students and being passionate about it. Uh, so su- super cool. We talk about path to passion. Um and another another example of it. Very, very exciting. So for those that are hearing this jazz, how can we reach out to you um, in order, let's say, if we want to look up, uh, you know, anything regarding your courses, anything regarding your, uh, said right, right to campus. Yeah. So that so that's for our audience who are looking to write personal statements for colleges the experience is different so it's it's not quite like you send your paper to a online platform they send it back to you mm. so this is very one-on-one i have had i've cried i've had students cry yeah because you really have to dig deep uh it's vulnerable and it's honest and you discover who you are and what you want out of this life so um i find it one of the really one of the most beautiful conversations I've had are in these spaces. Um, and I have an Instagram. It's right to campus um, on Instagram. Yeah, we'll post, we'll post it on the podcast for, for the, uh, for the audience to see, but I'm, I'm super excited. Have you, have you, um, have you have any like success stories from like the personal statements you want to share? How long have you been doing this? Yeah. So, Actually, I've, I've been doing this for friends and family my whole life. Yeah. Now you got to kind of monetize on it because 
I could only imagine how much professors get paid these days. So you got to make something. And when you're like an English major and then you're a professor, you're the go-to person. Right. Yeah. And so um, I've helped people with PA school, um, med school, master's programs and like con, uh, MBA program. Wow. So really, it's like my public speaking class, all different types of people and fields and goals. It's very, very interesting. So basically, you are the person that's helping them go through the journey of writing their statement. And then ultimately, uh, obviously, final cut is with the person, but you're just continuously giving them feedback until that process is complete. How long do you uh, envision or, I mean, if you were to put an average, I know you're going to say, I know what you're going to say, Jazz, knowing you, you're going to say everybody's different, of course, but if you were to put an average to how long you think it, t- it should take, how much energy and effort and time you should put into writing a personal statement, what would that be? It, it really depends. It depends on the program. It depends on like how long. But it's a process. You should start way in advance, I say. Um, personally, for me, if I write something under pressure, it's great, but it's not as thoughtful as it could have been. So I would say at least like four months, give yourself three or four months to sit down because you're going to want to spend hours, then leave it and not touch it and then come back to it. Because those are the moments where you realize, okay, let me rework this. Um, If you don't give yourself time to step back, then you'll just be like, I'm over it. Let me turn it in. Yeah. Very good. So we said four months. If it's one, I'll work with you. Don't you worry. <laughs> okay. So you guys heard it. Reach out to Professor Shaolian, uh, Ashuri Shaolian. And, uh, you know, if you guys ever need any help uh, on your next level in your educational career, uh, reach out. And, uh, you know, if you guys need help with anything uh, to reaching Jasmine, you'll obviously feel free to reach out to me and Jazz. I am absolutely blessed and thankful for you to join us today. I think uh, our time is unfortunately running up. Thank you for having me. Honestly, this has been so wonderful. I look forward to hopefully uh, seeing you back on soon. Yeah, I can't wait. Thank you, Nat.